Happy Monday, and welcome back to another exciting episode of the Rocketeer Minute, where each and every day, Monday through Friday, we go over one minute of the greatest adventure movie that Walt Disney's ever made, the 1991 Joe Johnston-directed feature, The Rocketeer. I'm one of your hosts, Jim O'Kane of TVDads.com. And I'm Hal Bryan, an airplane nerd from the Experimental Aircraft Association here in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. And we are still in that hospital we were in on yes. uh, on uh, Friday. and right where we were. With Fibber McGee and everybody chuckling except... <laughs> yes, Fibber McGee and company, as we learned. Not Molly right now. Yes, they're uh, not understanding the uh, non-diegetic nature of the screams coming up there. Definitely not coming from uh, Fibber McGee out of that beautiful... What kind of do you know what kind of radio that is? So that is uh, here's what I've uh, what I've dug up about this radio. It's a Packard Bell, oh. and you can actually there's a there is a good look. Uh, well, there's the diskette drive. I see it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> see, that's, I hear Packard Bell. I think computers immediately, but they go they predate that quite a bit. Um, now, interestingly, I, I did I spent a lot of time looking around the uh, like the online radio museum site and antique radio forums and things, and I only found one picture of this particular model, and nobody's had a model number with it, so I'm not sure exactly what model it is. Um, but uh, it's you know right in there. Every other model I found from the the mid to late 30s, you know, I'll have similar design cues and everything. This would be probably the lowest end model. Um, and, you know, of course, your classic tube radio. What struck me as interesting about this is that if you look around around second eight of this minute, um, you see the uh, you see the dial. And you can just barely make out the Packard Bell logo with actually the phone, sort of the phone shape behind it. Um, and by the way, as far as I know, and if anybody out there knows differently, correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, um, I'm quite confident there was never any connection between the Packards of Packard Bell and Hewlett Packard. And uh, and less confident, but fairly sure there was no connection with Packard Motor Company. So hmm. just three different Packards, uh, they're playing different roles throughout the 20th century. Anyway, we look uh, we look at the dial on this uh, this great old tube radio with its you know fabric grill that's uh, seen a little bit uh, better times on the left. But on that dial, you see the phrase at the very bottom, stationized, and then there's a whole lot of print around the outside. And what Packard Bell came up with, and this was something that they uh, that they had patented was the idea of stationizing their radio. And uh, they did this uh, in a few states in the West, California being their biggest market. So again, very appropriate. We'd see this radio here. And what they would do is they would actually pre-print the dials with, uh, with the call signs and sometimes the names of popular local radio stations. So if you want to listen to your favorite you know, local LA radio station, you turn the needle until it points to the name of that station. Not just, you don't have to just know the, the, uh, the numbers, you don't have to know the frequency. You point it right at the actual name of the station. So these radios and, and others were customized for multiple markets. And uh, uh, a clever idea, you know, so certainly something to be sort of challenging in terms of execution and managing inventory. But it, it went a long way to uh, and put them way out ahead in terms of usability for their radios. You know, it's, it's interesting that you bring this up because my uh, I'm an old person, so I have old ancestors as well. My grandmother... <laughs> I can remember my grandmother, who lived in Jersey City, New Jersey, had an Atwater Kent radio okay. from the mid 1930s. It had a, it had it was multiple use, uh, kind of like uh, those console uh, radios that we had in the 60s and 70s, where you'd have a record player and a radio. Oh and sure. On her Atwater Kent, she had a 78, uh, you know, play the big platters, and she also had uh, the local New York radio stations written in on the you know it was like printed really? on her on her dial and i was always amazed by that because at the time the uh, um most of the 
it, it, this was shortly after um, uh, there, there, was, there was a change in, in several of the uh, frequency bands. And she had, it was a combination of AM and shortwave. And under oh, the shortwave side, it had where typical radio stations from other countries were. And instead of saying what, you know, like the BBC or anything like that, it would say things like England, France, Germany, Italy. Yeah. And you could pick up, you know, Ireland and where, you know, you'd pick things up depending on where you were just by dialing in the particular country. Um, I, I have vivid memories uh, as a kid, maybe 40 years after uh, this movie is taking place of my brother listening intently to shortwave radio. And I remember, uh, you know, even by the 70s, a lot of the radios were still marked out that way and that you sort of would move the dial, move the band until you found something. And it was it was very definitely broken up by sort of by country and region. And then they had a, there was a thing where you could, uh, of course, in the days way pre-internet, uh, you could fill out, uh, you could send them a letter and say, you know, I heard your radio station at such and such time, you know, Greenwich Mean Time in Washington State or wherever, and then they would send you a postcard called a QSL card, and he would collect those and say, you know, because the station would confirm, yes, yes, you heard us, you heard our call letters, so here's a little souvenir mailed from that local country. And there was something interesting about that. It was, you know, it's, it's ridiculous now, and as I said, in the days of the Internet where we can stream anything from anywhere all the time. But uh, something interesting then about getting something tangible back because you were able to tune in your radio. There was still something kind of romantic about that. And you had paper proof that you had done so. Exactly. Yeah. And if then I remember, remember, too, always getting uh, sort of freaked out as, as a kid of the Cold War uh, when you would try to turn in like or tune in Radio Free Europe. And then it would be interrupted by the Soviet jamming signals. I, I can remember just dialing back and forth and hearing Morse code being iterated. And uh, I got up to, in, in the Boy Scouts, I got up to about five words a minute, and there were some wow. slow operating ones. And I'd write things down, and I'd suddenly realize it was in French, and I didn't quite <laughs> understand it anyway. You but you might have been history's first hacker, Jim. Yeah, yeah, that, <laughs> that, could, that could have been it. Well, <laughs> it was a little late to the game for that. For that. But, yeah, I'd, uh, it was always a fascinating time. I think they called that hobby DXing because you'd be listening for yep. distance. Yep. Yeah, that's exactly right. And he was he was really big into that. My brother was really big into that, and it was fun to sort of look over his shoulder a bit. Yeah, that and winter winter nights listening to even AM stations. There were you know super stations. I, I, I remember living in upstate New York and being amazed to be pulling in WLS from Chicago. Oh yeah, because or, of the skip. Yeah, that yeah, night off the atmosphere. And they were you know the the, the large. Uh, what they called the clear, not the company, but the actual phrase, a clear channel network, where it was broadcasting at fifty thousand watts, and they they owned that particular frequency band for you know everything east of the Mississippi or everything west. There was no there was no one else on that particular uh, band oh, to sure. to cross you. So uh, it, <laughs> this is what we did for fun, kids, long ago. <laughs> exactly, and now we uh, we use all this amazing technology and communications. Uh, uh, facilities that we have to talk about the old weird ways that we yes. used to do these things and yes. keep entertained in, in, um, in, way, in ways that would have amazed our ancestors. So. Exactly. You know, right about that time, I, I don't know why I, I think this is a nice touch because it could have been completely organic, but right about that same time when you get the nice hero shot of that great old Packer Bell uh, radio, you see the, uh, uh, the nurse and that's uh, Kim Sebastian. Yeah. Kim Sebastian. See the nurse's coffee mug sitting over there, and it's got this big lipstick stain right on it. Oh, yeah. And uh, like I said, it could have been just completely organic. It could have been something that really happened. But you can also picture Joe Johnston or, uh, you know, one of the set designers sitting there saying, you know, 
she would leave a little lipstick here. Let's make sure we get a nice imprint on there and make it look like she's, you know, she's really drinking something. And, uh, yeah, and they're, meanwhile, busy flirting with each other while some guy is being turned into a pretzel in the next room. Exactly. While, <laughs> like, while Fibber McGee is is uh, laughing and yelling, and then there's uh, poor Wilmer yeah. screaming from the uh, from the next room. You know, right at the very beginning of this, not to, not to move backwards, but uh, I... Another uh, just nice little bit of that late 30s, uh, 30s dialogue. You know, Wilmer's first line is, I pulled a switch, see? <laughs> yeah. Just, that addition <laughs> yeah. of the word see at the end just yeah. always makes it so perfectly period. And then, you know, I got the package dashed real good. It's at the airfield. You know, um, when he's, uh, as we were talking about yesterday, he at first, uh, you know, Lothar comes in and he's not going to answer to anyone but Eddie Valentine and then. You know, and then boom, yeah. here we are a minute later. Oh, here's where it is. See? Yes, 1930s waterboarding. With yeah, thought. exactly. Yeah. Being, uh, being bent in half. He must do a pretty good job if, you know, you figure a nurse who's probably seen it all and is working in a prison ward probably saw a lot of knife fights in the aftermath of different sure. kinds of physical altercations. Yeah. <laughs> Just uh, he's been turned into a clothesline hitch there. Right. And uh, I can't ever figure, I'm, I'm looking at it and he doesn't look too bad. <laughs> Maybe it's just me, but I guess I guess they didn't want to want to uh, take Mr. Grodenchik and turn him into an actual pretzel. Right. But, well, he gets uh, bent in half, and then you know, I mean, you know what happens in the that great noir shadowing, I think looks worse. But then then he sort of unfolds. You know, the body naturally wants yeah, to yeah, seek some it, sort of equilibrium, it's, and it's, it's being held together with all that traction too. So it's you know the jiffy pop stays in the general sh- shape of the pan, so it's not it's not going to go right. too far. Um, I do like that old. Um, the, the Franklin D. Roosevelt style uh, wheelchair in the background there with the wicker back and the, it's just hidden behind the door uh, of the uh, of the hospital door. With, oh right, uh, rather fancy cane backing, not not too dissimilar from the uh, the seats in a in a GB. So yeah. or no, and no, actually it was in the standard. In the standard, standard right? Yeah. yeah. So yeah. and uh, uh, originally the Ford uh, Ford Trimotors would have had the wicker seats like that. Oh, okay. And uh, uh, Charles Lindbergh again casting a small, tiny shadow on this. Uh, his seat was uh, was a very, very lightweight li- uh, wicker. You know, of course, flying the Spirit of St. Louis, all about that saving weight. Yeah, and also yeah, <laughs> having some place for the sweat to go because you know, I'm sweating yeah, exactly. nonstop for no matter how cold it got. It's just wow. You know, it's interesting to me. We get. Uh, I don't think we know who the second nurse is. And she sort of blink and you'll miss her. But as they come bursting in, there's a, you know, and we, and. Uh, there's actually Kim's, three. There's three nurses there. Is there a third one? Okay. I see Kim yeah, Sebastian if you go to and second, then the blonde. And, yeah. And then there's, a, there's one just off of uh, Kim Sebastian's shoulder at second 29. Oh, yeah. There she is right there. Another, uh, another brunette sneaking in back there. She probably qualified for the, uh, the cast party at the end. Exactly. Maybe not a SAG card if she didn't have any lines, no. right? Isn't that no how lines. that works? Yeah, for, that's right. Screen but, Actors I, Guild. I, I think this, yeah. I wonder if the scream counts. We'll have to ask. We're going to have an actress on uh, in a few few days. We'll, we'll get to the ins and outs of how to how to get a card in this bit. Working in this shady town. There we go. You know, I love uh, uh, you know the the classic uniform that uh, David Pressman is wearing. You know, as a sort of a typical typical cop of the day. That really distinctive feature, which uh, in my law enforcement days, I always sort of regretted that uh, that we didn't have anymore. They'd gone out of style. But it's the Sam Brown belt. Yeah, and that's the the belt with the uh, you know the cross piece, the, the sash. Over. Yeah, yeah. This, I I would not have thought of it as a sash, Jim. I would have thought of something oh, well. much more manly and cooler than that. <laughs> but but yeah, it's a sash. It's a big leather sash. But there's something about it that just that makes it look so period. It makes it crisp. 
Yeah. And uh, he, named after a, a British army officer who'd lost his left arm. Hmm. So, but uh, anyway, a staple of the early police uniforms. Uh, poor tr- trigger protocol. Well, I don't know if that was a thing back then. That used oh, sure. To- yeah, in yeah. in uh, in my law enforcement days, uh, starting in the late '80s up through the mid '90s, you know that finger is off the trigger, and as you're on the outside of the trigger guard, we call that indexing. Yeah. Um, unless unless and until you are absolutely ready to shoot. Now, you know throughout this movie, <laughs> uh, no spoilers, but there is a scene coming up preceded by the uh, by the line "Let them have it, boys," <laughs> yeah. where you've got a yard full of G-men just blasting away at full automatic. So. Um, yeah, they're, they're a little not, bit of poetic license, perhaps, yeah. but uh, but certainly rules were different back then. Not saving the bullets, that's for right. sure. <laughs> and if anyone is uh, is wondering, by my best estimate, I thought at first that might have been a Smith and Wesson Model Ten, but the more I look at it, I think that's uh, that's a thirty-eight special revolver called the Colt Official Police, hmm. with probably the five-inch uh, the five-inch barrel. Yeah, that's what it looked like to me. It's a thirty-eight, and yeah, so it's definitely a thirty-eight, and you know. It's uh, not to just skip around too much, but there is one shot where uh, he is, he's looking out the window. We don't see Wilmer there. Um, Second 34, another one of these lovely little attentions to detail. Um, We're looking at the gun, basically looking right down the barrel. And it's obviously, this is a prop gun or, or or something along those lines, but the, uh, but you can see that it's loaded. And it would oh, be, yes. it would be yeah. very easy for this not to be loaded, for it to just be, you know, a simple stunt Big piece. open cylinders, yeah. But yeah, you can see four, uh, four rounds in there, four, four of the six in the, you know, in the, uh, in the cylinder. Yeah. So nice little touch, nicely worn belt. You know, not everything is sort of brand spanking new and that leather wears, uh, wears quickly. We switched to those uh, cuffed, the, the cuffed, uh, very natally dressed uh, Lothar. With his uh, size size fifteen right. uh, floor chimes there, as exactly he, yes. as he gently backs up on a size seven uh, ledge. Right, and and again, I'm reminded of Al from uh, Police. Yeah, Club, yeah, yeah. We, we just <laughs> see you know, we see yeah. less of him here, but but yeah. uh, I I would expect to see a banana falling at any yeah. moment. I do like his little um, cha cha cha. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. One, two, cha cha cha. And then, then the uh, the reverse matching shot of a beautiful uh, English bulldog marching across, kind of the symbol uh, for Dave Stevens's uh, uh, artwork. He uh, he used the bulldog symbol in a lot of his artwork, and it's it's nice seeing him here. And a great intro to, of course, the Bulldog Cafe. Absolutely. Which, uh, yeah, what, a, what a clever uh, idea to start on the dog and have the dog running right back to the restaurant. What a perfect way to lead us there. Yeah, there and there's a lot of. Um, if you read, the, I really strongly recommend. If you are an adult over the age of eighteen, please go and read the uh, the Rocketeer graphic novels because they are they're just great. There's a lot of funny, almost cartoon like activities going on. Uh, the dog has a big problem with gas and bacon. That's right. And um, <laughs> uh, Cliff keeps getting yelled at by uh, Millie, who runs the bulldog. And the way he gets back at her is he keeps feeding the dog bacon. <laughs> and uh, if I recall correctly, in the the first volume of this, to get back at him, he gives a kid, uh, he gives a kid like a half a pound of bacon and said, "Here, give this to the dog and bring it back to Millie. She'll give you a a free ice cream. <laughs> <You> feed the <laughs> dog bacon." Jeez, <laughs> oh, oh, that's and, excellent. Uh, uh, and that's and so this is our introduction to the Bulldog Cafe, right? That beautifully and, illuminated sign, and and it was a real place. I, you know, I. I've, 
seen a couple of people post other places saying, well, it was kind of inspired by this and that. And there was a lot of that sort of architecture in the, you know, in the 20s through the 40s, 50s or whatever. But uh, there was a real Bulldog Cafe. It sold ice cream and tamales. And it was uh, it was at... 1153 West Washington Boulevard in Los Angeles. So I don't have any idea what's there now. I could pull up a Google Street View, I suppose, and mm. see. But but uh, that would be sad, though, wouldn't that, it? I would. Yeah, I would guarantee uh, whatever is there yeah, is a step it, down in the in the style of Randy's Donuts and all the other great pieces of California architecture that exactly. dot SoCal. Yeah. Um, it's you can't and, you go there not not just for the food, just for the atmosphere. I, right. I, my favorite part of the Bulldog is the fact that he is. His corncob pipe is made out of a rain barrel. Yes. And uh, that's just a it's very substantial-looking dog. Such a nice touch. So according to what I dug up, the original uh, uh, opened in 1928, and then uh, sometime about 1966 it was knocked down. Mm. And then uh, the Peterson Automotive Museum did a, a recreation of it, which was also supposed to be demolished when they remodeled, but then somebody stepped in and, and saved it and has restored it. So, um, oh. So you oh, can see a, see a replica of it. And then as we had talked at one point uh, about the MGM Backlot Tour at, at Disney in, uh, in Orlando. It's been about 10 years since I've been there, but as last I recall, uh, the Bulldog was there. I've seen it once, but I don't think it's, uh, I think it's long gone now. I, I, would, I think I would love to have an action figure. Someone out there must be making an yeah. action bulldog cafe. I, I would hope so, that Disney uh, would have the smarts to do it, but who knows? And, and maybe Jim, in a future episode, we might hear about another piece of merchandise inspired I, uh, that, by this. That, that might even you happen. Know? At least a prototype, I think. So we'll, a we'll find out. Foreshadowing here, yeah. The dun, dun, dun. <laughs> yes. So stand by and yes. tune in. We need a um, foreshadowing I, theme. I do like the options, which I believe are original to the you know the original bulldog. Was they had offered tamales and ice cream on? Yeah, the that was uh, those were the two the two choices. None of I can yeah. never picture eating a tamale at a diner though. That just doesn't seem to be. But no, of course, it, where else would you get it at the time? Right, I mean, but it doesn't seem like uh, the right sort of thing. And can you make out the uh, the street number, the address number on the front there? Twenty five, twenty nine, maybe something like that. Uh, it's on Encino. It's it's on Encino uh, Avenue. I know that. Okay. That's, we'll see that later on in the movie. There's a. I just wonder if there was any road to Encino. Any significance to the uh, to the house? I'm sure there must be somebody. Probably it must have been somebody's little inside idea. We still have to find out about Mr. Figgy, who directed uh, Wings of Honor. So that that put that on the list That's of things true. to find out. Yeah. Of, um, of answers we demand. Yes. Um, so anyway, we go in. Let's let's join the action already in progress. We saw, we <laughs> saw that uh, the the brown uh, Model T, PV's Model T, which oh, I guess right. is also Cliffs. I don't know who owns it. I'm assuming it's PV's. Um, but we go inside and see uh, beloved character actress Margot Martindale. <laughs> there she is of uh, BoJack Horseman fame, right. bringing out let's see hamburger and fries and a little side of what looks like watercress maybe. On there. <laughs> And a uh, and p- passing by that beautiful uh, pie, pie rack full of what looks like pecan, I'd say maybe a chess pie and apple. Looks like just a, a great multitude of pies. And then she's putting down what looks like uh, tomato with rice soup. Can't imagine ordering soup on a date. That <laughs> you got to know somebody pretty well to start ordering yeah. soup. Well, we know Cliff and. Uh... And Jenny have been around for a while, been together for a bit, but still. Yeah, and uh, a completely empty ashtray. So apparently nobody smokes in 1930s. I, yeah, uh, right. so. yeah that's, that um, is one thing you would expect to see. I expect everybody to have a cigarette at this point. But this yeah, is, they would be know, chuffing. It's, o- yeah, it's Disney. 
It's Disney, but yeah, oh. and normally I'd, I'd say the cook would be smoking, um, uh, Millie would be smoking, the, the three old the, the, the three old uh, reprobates at the at, actually there's four. We don't know who the guy at the end is who just keeps oh, right. hovering. Um, the hovering reprobate. I never noticed that entire chocolate pie or chocolate cake down the end there. Oh, now I want cake. Uh, <laughs> okay. Oh, and it's in that uh, in one of those old cake covers. Yeah. And uh, so here's here's something random. What that makes me think of immediately is uh, uh, the cover that would be over the red bat phone. In yes. The, uh, in the yes. '60s series, that was a, yes that next was, to the uh, statue of or the bust the of the bust uh, of Shakespeare. Shakespeare. Yep, exactly. Yeah. So the red phone flashes. And we, <sighs> Yeah, and uh, you, you we're lift old. The lid off. You know? <laughs> we are old, Jim. I wonder if anybody's uh, listening. Hello, anybody out there? Um, and then, as as Cliff, uh, you know, walks to sit down at the booth, you're getting your first glimpse of, uh, you know, some of the aviation related decor on the walls. And off to the far left, you see one of the many uh, pennants from uh, the National Air Races. You know, lots of these nicely framed black and white photos. And you know, I I would dearly love to have some super detailed high-res photos of this set or something to really look over every image. Um, well, you know, I know in, the, in a future episode we'll, we'll talk about at least one of them and the little detective work I did. But um, what I can say is uh, I've never found anything that stood out to me that jumped out and said, oh, that's completely wrong. And, yeah. and for me, in, in any kind of aviation-related movie, I should be rolling my eyes and saying, oh, those idiots, why did they put that back? Why is there a Boeing 727 on the wall, you know, here in 1938? And, you know, you don't get a close look at a lot of things, but uh, but I've never seen anything egregious. Any idea in the very last second there, in second 59, yeah. to the right of Cliff's shoulder, there seems to be a maybe a pressurized monoplane? Yeah, that uh, the, uh, framed at the, the top of two pictures. Uh, yeah, the top that. of the top of two pictures above that looks. I was going to say it looks like an F one hundred four Starfighter, but I don't, <laughs> right. I don't think they do that. But. No, they wouldn't. Uh, they wouldn't do that. And that also that silhouette, at the, uh, the bottom of the top two pictures. You know, you could also imagine. Well, that almost looks like the Rocketeer with flames coming out the back. So it's an odd little shape. So as far as that monoplane goes, um, you know, my first thought would be something like a Stratocruiser, but I don't think it's that big. Now, the Stratocruiser would be a bit of an anachronism, not not horrible, but a few years off. What about um, a DC-2? Would a DC-2 fit in that era? Uh, yeah, the, 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 any DC-1, 2, or 3 uh, could be appropriate here. It looks, it looks fatter uh, than that toward the nose. So it has that, it like you said, it's over. like that that Boeing that that double, you know, it's like that figure eight fuselage yeah. that it had. But it's just the wings that, don't yeah. look to me like there's four engines there. We'll have to dig into that one a little bit more, and maybe, you know, maybe over upcoming minutes, if I get a better look at it. Uh, the but, the uh, detail the detail in the art direction in the bulldog is just amazing. I mean, I'm looking at those windows with the uh, the brass. Uh, uh, delayers they keep the keep the window from flipping all the way out oh yeah and you know the casements and the i mean we've all we've all been in that kind of a diner from long ago i can remember right. going to a bunch of these as kids and there's a beautiful one i know in worcester massachusetts that, that looks very similar to this but you just feel it you can smell the scrambled eggs in this place you can yeah. smell it the whole place smells like cooking turkey and and uh, pies and a lot and really really thick coffee i mean stuff that you'd, you'd have to stir with both hands it's exactly. just exactly you know, and, and they uh, probably have the best breakfasts around. Yeah, yeah, just a you know a dozen eggs on a plate yeah, exactly. with a with a pound yeah. of bacon solid. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and interesting too the uh, the booth behind Jenny there has, is bowed a bit, and yeah, uh, 
So it's a nice big curved booth and the wall actually bows out a little bit there. Um, nice little nice little bit of architectural design. And, and she seems, did he order a Coke? She's drinking a coffee and the other fellow's drinking a nickel Coke, I think. Oh, yeah, that's but, sort of what it looks, and, like. it looks like the hourglass bottle back there, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, poured half a glass, which I'm assuming that he had a four ounce, what they call a proper glass in the bar terminology. Uh-huh. Back in the day when you'd order... When you'd order a beer, you'd, you'd get a bottle and you'd be given what's known as a proper glass, which was four ounces. So ah, <laughs> imagine drinking your drinking your beer four ounces at a time. And you know, it's uh, portion and control if, is everything. If you click through very, very carefully, like second 50, 58, 57. So it looks like they're both drinking water and Cliff has a cup of coffee. Yeah. So well, she's got to watch her, watch her figure for uh, being on the next... Myrnaloy special. <laughs> That's true, yeah. It's, those grapes aren't going to hold themselves. Yes. Is that Tabasco? I, we haven't had a clear shot of the ketchup. Or it, 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 is, it, is it ketchup or is it, I think it is ketchup. Because I uh, think it's, yeah, I think it's too I, big to be Tabasco. I think it's probably a ketchup bottle sitting there. I think, there. Uh, yeah, good solid Although that label, you know, if it were today, I would say, well, that looks like a Tabasco label, but I think it's too big. Yeah. So I think it's probably a good vintage uh, Heinz 57 type bottle. But you know, even, <clears> as, even as we speak, I'm looking up... Uh, a uh, Heinz ketchup, uh, 1938, just to see, just to see if there's any uh, anything out there that looks like that. Let's listen while Jim Googles. Yeah, I'm I'm checking. <laughs> I'm looking. I'm looking now. And uh, hmm, well, apparently they just. Oh, uh, no, actually, they it they've had the Keystone for a long time. Apparently, um, I'm looking at at least to 1910 there was a key, it's always been a keystone so unless okay. it's in a keystone shape it maybe it's hunts or yeah it could be i don't know what the west a... i don't know what the west coast oh it could be del monte right del, del oh, monte sure. was yeah, a big del california monte, one yeah big california so brand that, that might be i i don't have time to google that but i'm sure yes. we'll leave, we'll just leave that as an exercise for the listeners that's right oh we'll include that in the director's cut Yes. <laughs> dear Lord, when we go back and redo all oh, these longer. Yes, welcome. Minute 26A. Yes, exactly. But it is amazing. You know, you were pointing out the details around the windows and everything, and you just look at every scrap of wood you can see in this scene. And I I cannot wrap my head around the fact that uh, that this is wholly constructed, sort of brand new and then aged. And then, you know, there's just nothing about this that doesn't look and feel absolutely real and tangible and sort of earthy and organic. I, I just want to go back into my kitchen and like redo everything so it looks like a 1938 diner. Exactly. I mean, even right right down to the um, it's a it looks like it's marble, but I've seen this. Of course, the name escapes me. Um, in in Portland, there is, Portland, Oregon, there is a mansion that. Hang on, as, as I'm talking, I'm typing in uh, some googling stuff. But the publisher of the Oregonian uh, newspaper uh, had a mansion at the top of, I want to say, the Rose section, of, the Rose Hill section of, of uh, Portland. If you go, if you go on the tour, a common thing that they did, you thought it was marble, but actually, it's finely cut linoleum. Oh wow! Really? Hang on. <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I apologize, listeners. <laughs> you know, while you're while you're looking for that, the uh, another wonderful little bit of aging detail is uh, you know I've got that presumably that formica wood grain tabletop for these these tables, and then the nice uh, you know that metal edging that really subtle sort of uh, I don't even know what you would call it, but it gives me that you know that that great diner look, and then you know right over by Jenny, there's a nice worn spot. And yeah. you don't think about it. And then actually, and then some of that trim is missing around uh, 
you know, the trim's just missing on part of Cliff's side of the table. And you stop and think, or it may just be the lighting, but it looks like it's missing. You stop and think that, you know, somebody built this thing, put that on, and then, you know, somebody else came through and weathered it and aged it and, and did these things to make it not look brand new. And it's possible some recycled materials. But I, again, as you know, we could start and end every episode with saying, well, now the detail in this scene is amazing. Um, yeah, right down to just the little the little forks thing. Right. Uh, now I can sound smart again. It's okay. Pitcock, Pitcock Mansion, uh, uh, which is a French uh, Renaissance-style chateau. It's in the West Hills uh, section of Portland, high above Portland. And I, I can recommend anybody on the West Coast, even if you're not on the West Coast, head for Pitcock Mansion. It was built by um, the Oregonian publisher, Henry Pitcock, and his wife, Georgiana. 46-room estate. Wow. And um, it's just, it's, the city owns it now, and they, they've done a great renovation of the place and just uh, beautiful views of the city from, from there. Um, but uh, the, the place was built in 1910 until 1914. It has things like a central vacuum system, intercoms, indirect lighting, oh, its geez. own elevator, and a walk-in refrigerator. It, it, it's just amazing. I mean, you can spend your entire day just staring at this place and just mind-boggling uh, amount of, of detail it worked into. But one of the things that I recall specifically is in the kitchen, the fascinating thing to own was something called linoleum. And instead of marble, they had carefully cut out mosaics of uh, linoleum that became very popular later on in the 20s and 30s to decorate floors and it was considered uh, kind of a touch of class to have a linoleum mosaic floor and seeing this here i wouldn't doubt that this is a similar style and what what this may be is rolled linoleum where it's like the the mosaic is actually printed on it but that is very much in keeping with popular style of uh, of flooring back then. It, it, it could easily be ceramic, but I believe that this is a 1930s linoleum style floor, uh, akin to the kind that is at the Pitcock Museum, which I strongly recommend. If you're if you're in the Portland area, try it out. It's it's an amazing uh, tour. Somehow that's all involving the Rocketeer, but I just <laughs> somehow it is. You know, and it's yeah. funny. You know, I lived in uh, Washington State for most of my life, more than 30 years, and and uh, never explored Portland nearly as much as I as I wish I had, and and uh, never made it to the Pitcock Mansion. So I'll put that on my list next time I'm in the Thing, things to do when you're in PDX. There exactly. <laughs> and you know, looking again at just quickly at those pictures we were talking about, I'm not convinced of this, but there's a good chance that uh, that what looks like you said a pressurized airplane looks like an airliner. That could be a Boeing Stratoliner, which was uh, was. Uh, the fuselage kind of looked like a nice streamlined baby Stratocruiser. It had that full rounded look to it, but the wings and the tail were basically B-17. And uh, that first flew in late 38, so... Not if, not without the... He might have cut it out of popular science at the time. It could have been, yeah. yeah just, what, what, were the, what were the aviation magazines of the day? What did people read back then? Um, did they... Let's see. At this point, uh, the biggest thing you'd be looking at would be popular aviation, um, which changed its name or became flying magazine at some point it might have been right around this time i'd have to uh, i'd have to re-google and uh, and look at that um and then uh you know that was the big sort of aviation one um magazines like air trails came along which were sort of model aviation magazines with a lot of sort of history based and full-scale kinds of content um you mentioned popular science so popular science and uh modern mechanics uh, which was modern mechanics and inventions um, 
those magazines always had a tremendous amount of aviation content as well. So those were, they're not strictly aviation magazines per se, but you can go back and look at them. And, and so the modern mechanics in particular of the 30s have some of the, the, the best covers I think I've ever seen. Really, really bright, vivid artwork. And it seems like about every other issue is something that flies. And it's floating airports serve the passengers of tomorrow. And, you know, 6,000 people play tennis aboard the airliner of the future. And and uh, wonderful things like this, uh, always really, really optimistic and forward-looking. I, I, the, an easy way to get lost for hours on end on the Internet, not that that's difficult to do, but uh, Google has the entire back catalog of popular science. Oh, and right. I'll, I'll just pick a year and just start plowing through, you know, 1929 yeah. or something like that, and just page after page of what's coming in the future. And it's amazing how close some of the some of the guesses were and so you know how far off many of them were right but just you, you look at these images and, and short captions and things like that and you wonder how many things it inspired in real life right. much as thinking of it and yeah i mean we're, we're we've, we've taught we're going to be talking in the future with uh, people who have been definitely inspired by the movie that we're watching right now absolutely and uh, with some surprising uh, results. Yes. But let's, let's hold off on that more surprising for... Surprising and impressive results. More and, for uh, And, you know, talking about the set decoration and aging and things like that, uh, I don't think we have dates set yet, but hopefully we'll be talking to uh, another good friend of mine, Peter Zink, who's a prop master on a, uh, on a popular, uh, uh, popular streaming show right now. And uh, he is, uh, in my opinion, he is just an absolute wizard at uh, decorating things for a particular period and then in particular aging them. So uh, if we're lucky enough to work out our schedule so that he can uh, he can join us, uh, I think we have him penciled in for the end of next month. So if that works out, uh, you'll learn all sorts of things about how to take something new and make it look nicely used and period appropriate. Always something cool here at the Rocketeer Minute. One uh, never tom- knows. Uh, uh, tomorrow we are going to be having somebody to talk a little bit more about what it's like uh working in Hollywood and being a Jenny Blake, basically, we're going to, we're going to do a little bit, let, let, let's, let's not tilt, tip our hand too much on that. Yeah, but, uh, but, but let's, we'll, let's not, uh, let's not inadvertently uh, overpromise. It's not being the Jenny Blake, but yeah. playing a Jenny Blake style. Jenny, uh, Jenny Blake compatible, if you think of it. <laughs> Jenny that. Blake yes. compatible. Yes. <laughs> so, wow. But uh, for, for people who I, I really, I say this all the time and I, I, <laughs> I apologize for those of you who already have, and I thank you for already having subscribed to us uh, out there on iTunes and on uh, Google Play. But if you haven't, it's real simple. Just go take your phone, find your application thing that brings you to iTunes or Google Play. Type in our type in our name, Rocketeer Minute. Click subscribe, and then you don't have to go hunting around for this on our on our website or trying to wonder you know where it's coming from. And you can get this every day. We can t- we talk about stuff like this far afield from the Rocketeer, but we also we eventually get back to here. And uh, we often have our, uh, one of our favorite guests, Billy Campbell, on frequently, who may be coming up later this week, or maybe we'll, well, we'll don't want to spoil anything. We'll see. You never know. Check back. And while you're, uh, while you're out there subscribing, you're looking at iTunes, uh, again, as always, reviews are greatly appreciated. At the time we're recording this one, we've just gotten our second uh, iTunes review. Lovely five stars from someone who calls himself uh, Ian, excuse me, Ian Chaos Malcolm. A uh, little Jurassic Park reference, so which I assume is probably really Jeff Goldblum listening. Could be. I have no be. reason in the world. Or Laura to think. Dern. Who knows? She it just, could be. You know, yeah, it could be Laura Dern going undercover, um, but but, but uh, does like our show. So anyway, a uh, an absolutely glowing review. And, and in fact, as you pointed out, Jim, it sounds like probably one of us wrote it. Yeah. Um, so all you can do is take our word for it that we did not. Uh, and of course, if we were going to use a pseudonym, it probably be probably wouldn't be from Jurassic Park. But you never know. I, 
I'd be writing in and saying that the guys need to do a lot better. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> What's wrong with you, chumps? Yeah, if they want my money. Uh, it, <laughs> and yet there is no money. Oh, well. None to be had. There you go. Yeah, you get what you pay for. So uh, anyway, we are we are available in a lot of different social media besides just, you know, listening to us on, on the uh, iTunes and the Google Play. Go check us out on Twitter. We're always sending up interesting new behind-the-scenes pictures that people send us that we've never seen before that are stunning. We had one the other day of uh, the inside of the flame-throwing uh, Rocketeer engine, and uh, it's just amazing what, what's out there. So uh, check us out, Twitter, Rocketeer Minute. Also, go to our Facebook uh, stuff, which is on uh, facebook.com slash Rocketeer Minute. Uh, please join us at our big site, rocketeerminute.com, where you can catch up on all these previous episodes, get some cool swag from Amazon, and uh, we, we have some other things. There's a, there's a library of stuff that you can pick from out there so just just keep looking around the site there's there's new things that come up every day why don't you join us here tomorrow we're going to talk a little bit more hollywood stuff and uh you know that's always a good thing when you're in when in hollywood uh visit, <laughs> visit the bulldog but uh but we'll talk we'll talk some more about the acting biz uh tomorrow on the rocketeer minute so until next time over and out Get him, kid.